We have people up on, in helicopters with paintball guns, and then we have a team of people on the ground on quad bikes. And they're just basically chased for about an hour over 10 kilometer tracks around, you know, around, around the, the African bush. It's, it really is fun, actually. Successes in the Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. If you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs their failures, mistakes, passion and continued persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out. I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. What does it take to become successful, to grow a brand or to start a business? Join me to find out from those that are currently doing just that. Welcome to episode one of Success is in the Mind. Today's guest is the British version of the Wolf of Wall Street. He started with £500 in his pocket, brokering IT hardware deals, and within six months had sold over a million pounds worth of kit. He has a ranch in Africa where he plays tug of war with crocodiles and once broke the world record for crossing the North Pole because, and I quote, it would be fun. Excuse the rustling noise in the first few minutes of the podcast. I suppose that's what happens when you dial someone in from Africa during a pandemic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to serial entrepreneur Rory Sweet. Rory, you started with your mate Ben White from your tiny flat in Pimlico, London. You had about 500 quid in your pocket. Your, your vision, your business and your livelihood was essentially secondhand computer broking. It seemed to pan out pretty well for you. Why did you get into that world? Well, um, I, was, I think I was about 23 and I was unemployed and I just saw a local, a local ad in the, in the paper in, in Gloucestershire for advertising for a computer broker and I thought it sounded really glamorous like a kind of stockbroker but actually it, it wasn't as it turns out. And I went to work for this little company in South Cerny um, in Gloucestershire and we were basically buying and selling IBM mainframe parts and um, I just found it I just found it quite easy I managed to get quite a lot of clients and then I, I just started thinking to myself you know I could maybe do this on my own so I, I basically set up on my own with, with a friend we were living in a, in a flat in we lived, we rented this house in Pimlico in London off the church and we were paying 15 pounds a week rent 15 quid a week in London that's ridiculously cheap I mean you can't even buy Costa these days for that much I know it's, it's ridiculous but it, it had it had it had no heating it was it was pretty much a condemned building we basically fitted it out with a warehouse in the basement we basically make some we made some some bedrooms upstairs and we used to just wear very warm clothing and then we, we, we started getting on we put a phone system in we just started getting on the phone and calling customers pretty much it started building up quite quickly and we were, we were doing a fair bit of business and then that's when my friend ben white came in he came and joined us as a partner it, it kind of it went on from there really it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and by that, by that, I mean it was about a million pounds turnover a year. Because you made a million in about six months, didn't you? From when you when you started, it was about yeah six months. Ben joined, you made a million, and it kept really going from there. I suppose. I think the real the real sort of turning point was when we we decided to move out of London, and um, we we moved to a little sort of workshop in Gloucestershire. We had a tiny little office, and then I had a girlfriend at the time that went to work for one of, one of the large service providers um, in the purchasing department. Right, now that's handy. And then she, she basically set us up on their system as being able to supply everything, really. Um, you know, memory, laptops, PCs, routers uh, was, was one of the main things. 
so you obviously had a girlfriend that was that was within a business which I suppose was buying or supplying from you. Could you have done it without her? Is that the reason that you went out with her in the first place? Well, not it wasn't really, but I think it would be fair to say that without her, we would never have really got anywhere, I think, in life. So I'd love to say that it was through intelligence and ingenuity and, and foresight, but actually that was really what started us off on our path. And it's funny how these things tend to happen like that, I think, in some cases. But I think it's a lot of it's a lot about what you do to maximize it. After she set us up on the, the, the purchasing system, the ne- literally the next day, our fax machine was just reeling off requests for the thousands of parts of memory upgrades. One of the things was Cisco routers, which we had no idea what they were. But so we researched what they were. And then we, and then we, we got we got quotes to, to, to buy them and then quoted to supply them. And then we suddenly getting these enormous orders, like some two, three, four, five million pounds. How are you justifying it? Though? Because obviously, a lot of businesses, maybe now, I'm not sure about then, but uh, obviously you have to have a certain amount of turnover and a certain amount of kudos before people will place orders of, of, of that value. How did you kind of fake it, I suppose? Well, we managed to convince some of our suppliers that we were we were we had a direct line into this, this service provider, and so they were able to give us a bit of credit. Uh, and but we had to, we had to limit the, the size of the orders initially um, to cater for the, how, you know, how much cash we actually had. Because you were bankrolling it, then were you? Did you have to buy it up front to then sell it to then invoice and and, and take the take the margin? But we had we had a little bit of credit then. We were able to start supplying. And then it just snowballed from there. That was that was really the main success story of the time. And they just started buying more and more and more and more stuff. It just escalated. Yeah, I mean, snowball is the right is the right term. I mean, what was it? You were twenty five. You had this you had this business at the time. Three million quid it was worth in ninety four. Then it was seven million in ninety five. Twenty three million ninety six. Fifty million ninety seven. I mean, that's one hell of a snowball. Yes, that was the, was that the turnover figures. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the turnover. Yeah, I'm not sure about the margin, but yeah. Yeah, it, it literally went, and I think I think then it went to eight maybe and then several hundred I think so Rory when you were you were younger obviously did you want to go into into business was it something you'd always set out to to do because you've done some quite fascinating things and, and whether that was through strategy or accident it seems you've done rather well regardless I think my sort of my driver was really not wanting to work for anyone and wanting to be my own boss in terms of being able to do what I want to do whenever I want to do really and I think this gave this gave us we, we were very to be honest we were very lucky with this whole situation and it, it, it enabled me to fulfill that really it, it does sound quite Wolf of Wall Street you know you kind of discover yeah. uh, a market which is, is is not a mass market at the time you're selling you know grey kit for instance at a, at a market which is workable but still less than the normal market it's like finding the pink sheets. I mean, did you quite literally wake up and go, we're on the money here, we're going to make a lot, I'm never going to have to work again? Or did you still kind of drive yourself forwards regardless of the sums that you were making at the time? Well, I think we realised we were onto something quite early on. And then, then we, we were actually made an official distributor by Cisco. And then it just went through, it just, it just went through the roof, basically. It was just, yeah, because your turnover doubled at that point. It was, it was just a question of cash management at that point. It was really, I mean, the phones, were just, that was the point where the internet was being built out. I mean, we would have millions and millions of, of, of quotes and orders every day coming in. It was just—it wasn't a question of having to sell anything. It was just a question of having to manage your logistics, really. And, and what we tried to do was always give customers the, the kind of honest approach and, and, and the way of dealing with things, and you know, realistic delivery times, and being able to have informed salespeople that could answer any kind of question on the phone. So what was your role at that point then within the sort of the first couple of years you got to 95 and you were a Cisco partner what did the structure of the business look like uh, well we were a distributor and um, I was basically I was I was CEO or managing director mm-hmm. I was really responsible for looking into sort of how to optimize the profit of the business 
And Ben White at that point, my partner, had split out and he started another company, Message Labs. Right, ah, uh, yes. Uh, which, has got, which went on to be very successful and they sold to Symantec. Um, yeah, for $700 million. Yes, so that was an, an initial idea to create a kind of internet-level virus scanning tool. Ben worked extremely hard on that and was, it was very successful. And you were part of that, though, were you not? You were, you were, I was you part know. of that in the early days, but that was really Ben's thing because we, had, we, we couldn't both do the same thing. And he had to go one way, I had to go the other way. And basically, I, pro- I think with, with our company, RBR Networks, I provided the cash that enabled that to happen. I think that was really the, how, you, how you could look at it. So we, we, we were making a lot of cash, and then we were putting a lot of money into that business. Without that, I don't think it would have been possible. Was it quite a heavy seed capital then? What was the kind of investment level that you needed to put in at that time? I think it was a few million pounds. I can't really remember at the time. We had a department, which was was an internet department, which was basically that, which was always losing money. And we were were always very sort of critical of it Mm -hmm. in the early days. But we kept it going. We kept it funded. And it just evolved into this amazing company that eventually sold for a fortune. It's 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 a bit like the sort of Amazon story where they made a loss for years and years and years, and obviously now they're worth billions and trillions of, of, of pounds. I mean, how did you strategically make that decision to, to essentially fund a loss-making department? Why did you continue to pump cash into it? Well, we initially, when Ben and I, when we, when we started, we thought we need to do something a bit more value-add. And so we hired a consultant to look at our business and to work out what we should be doing. And he came up with an idea. He said, you should have an internet company. And there was nothing really going on in the internet. It was very early days. So we started an internet provider locally, providing connectivity. And it kind of grew from that point. And we just tried to bolt on more and more services around it. Because so, yeah, there must be a huge amount of lessons to be to be learned. I mean, to grow at that speed, that's kind of unicorn growth. I mean, what lessons did you learn in the early days that you just simply didn't know when you started? I think the lessons I've learned is always have very good financial controls, really. We were literally, it was hand to mouth, cash flow. There were so many times when we were almost about to go bust. Is that just because you'd pumped too much in and you just didn't have the money coming Just through? because we just could not support the purchase orders to supply the sales orders. And at what, what was the tipping point then? Well, we, we went to, this, we initially, I think it was about 1995, we went out to a company called ACAL who provided about two million pounds of funding and that was that was the the thing that that just went in about 10 minutes <laughs> literally gone and, and we also we went out for dinner when we got the check and then we, we lost it in the restaurant the, the check you lost in the restaurant we lost it we went out for a curry and we lost it in the restaurant and then we had to we, we literally we couldn't find it anywhere and then we phoned the restaurant and they found it how did you find the time to to upskill yourself because obviously You've, you've gone in as being a CEO of a multi-million pound business in a blink of an eye. How did you train yourself on actually running a department, running a company, running a staffing? Well, it was really, I mean, I, I don't have any training, but it was really just, from my perspective, it was trying to create an atmosphere where everyone felt included and have, had fun, essentially where everyone had fun where they were, which has always been a great thing for me. I think if you, if you can have fun and people are making money and it's, 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 it's a, you have a, a really, really funny time at work. You know, every, I used to wake up in the morning, I just couldn't wait to get to work i mean we would have like we would have a full-size rack where you know if you if you didn't sell enough product in the day you'd be stretched <laughs> it's torture isn't it and then you'd have your nose hair trimmed at the same time while you're being stretched because you couldn't you because your arms would be tired <laughs> things like that and then if you, know, if you didn't really sell very much in the day either you'd be put inside a cage like a dog cage with a phone and just a pen and a pen and paper so you can't you can't do this anymore that's that's the thing you, you can't do it anymore it's a shame because i mean i think i think at the time it wasn't done in a sort of 
de degrading way. It was just, it was just incredibly funny, and everyone thought it was quite funny. But it does. It, it sounds. It sounds ridiculous. I mean, when did that have to stop? I mean, do you guys still have incentive days at a lot of the businesses that you work at, and and that is about as far as it goes in terms of in terms of carrying that on. Is that that's, that's kind of right? I'm assuming in saying. Yeah, I mean, nowadays it's different. Um, although I still have these dreams of bringing it back, but I don't know how far it will go. Pro probably through to court, I imagine. <laughs> 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 there must be some HR issues somewhere along the lines. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it would. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of fun though, even even at home. I mean, talk to me about the, the tug of war with this this crocodile in in Africa. Uh, yeah, yes, we have a we have a we have a, a reserve in Africa where we do a number of activities. One of which is we have a crocodile that uh, we've been <laughs> sort of feeding over the last few years, and we we put some frozen chickens on a on a chain and then throw it into the water, and you attach it to a tuna rod, a big 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 game fishing rod, and then it just takes the takes the chickens and just go and just goes, and you have to. And what do you do? Stand on water skis behind it and get dragged around the lake? You could do, but you might be you might get end up getting eaten, probably. I think because because don't you have paintball fights as well with people on on quad bikes from, from, from helicopter. I mean, it just sounds fantastic when you talk about so much fun. Yeah, we do. We have people up on, in helicopters with paintball guns, and then we have a team of people on the ground on quad bikes, and they're just basically chased for about an hour over 10-kilometer tracks around, you know, around, around the, the African bush. It's the, it really is fun, actually. And what are you, are you? Are you the one on the ground, or are you just one that's spectating and laughing? No, I like to be on the ground because there's a, there's a real strategy behind it because you, you have to watch the helicopter because helicopter has a lot of inertia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you see it turning one way, you go the other way because it has to, it, it can't, when it's coming behind you fast, you put the brakes on and it goes overhead. There's a lot of a lot of strategy to it, actually. Well, this is years of practice, Rory, surely. I mean, how long have you been being chased by choppers? I mean, it's... it's it is years of practice, yeah. You're basically James Bond of Africa. <laughs> Are you looking for a PR company that can evaluate your brand profile and execute effective communications? Well, Blocks and PR, who work with some of the largest brands in the fashion, field sports and luxury lifestyle sectors, can do exactly that. Developing long-term relationships is at the heart of the Blocks and ethos. Combining big thinking with big results, they simply never miss a trick, and they certainly didn't miss a trick, by partnering with us for Series 2. Check them out at blocksandpr.com. How do you make decisions, Rory? How do you sort of sit down and go, this is the right thing to do, this is what I'm going to do now? Because do you go with your gut or do you go with a spreadsheet? How do you do it? I, I tend to be quite impulsive, take a lot of risks. And, you know, some of them don't work and some of them do. It's more about gut instinct really than anything else. And obviously, obviously, I'm looking at sound, sound financials at the end of the day. I mean, a massive gut instinct was when you, you, you crossed the North Pole back in, I think it was early 2000s. I mean, not only did you cross it, but you also broke the world record, but you've never actually camped before. I mean, why? Well, that thing was one of the, the best things I've ever done, actually. It sounds fantastic. You always read these books from people like Randall Fine saying how difficult it is and how, you know, how bitter and horrible. And, but actually, it, it's the most, you know, anyone can really do it. We just had, the, we, we had a very good team of people. And to be in that remote, you know, utterly desolate place with no possibility of any help, it, it kind of does something to you. It's also the, just the raw beauty of it, which I'll never really forget. Because who was your competitor? There were 16 other people, though, weren't there? I mean, very much like your business career, you just kind of, you beat everybody within it because you, apparently somehow you just had a mental determination to do it. Do you think that your success is down to your mental 
stability. I think so. And I think, I mean, we, we went on the tra- all the training sessions for that because you, you pay a bit of money and then you go on like three different training sessions. We came last at every single training session. When the actual competition came to start, we just sort of gritted our teeth and just decided, we just went for it. Just, there's no substitute for that. We just literally just gritted it out. We just accelerated into the lead because of that. I mean, we literally, I mean, you'd, you'd close your eyes and then bang, you're, you're awake again two hours later. Do you think there's an element of, you look at all these successful entrepreneurs, Richard Branson for one, who, who set these challenges up and, and sort of pushes himself to the limit have you reached your limit yet in your business life you clearly did uh, but you pushed through when you're in the north pole but from a business point of view have you peaked yet or have you still got a lot more to give i think i've become less interested in in making money for the sake of making money i think and more interested in being a being in wilderness and being you know just being happy really i think you know there's so much more you can actually do rather than rather than sitting around a desk and making money I mean, there's just so much there's so much more to life sure i mean you you and i came across each other a couple of months ago in the in the pandemic with regards to procurement and distribution of of, of ppe i mean you are constantly trying to to push boundaries and explore different things i mean what is on the horizon i suppose for for you for your businesses are you going to shift the lot and go and enjoy yourself then based on the fact you want to relax and be happy yeah i think um, my business my halo business at the moment with the, the optics is going really well the shift in this in the service provider space towards all the home working has meant that the that they're doing incredibly well. Um, it's, it's mainly based in the states, uh, but there's just—I mean, it's just—it's just going through the roof over there, which is great. And I'm just—we're just—I'm just very thankful that you know I'm involved in the business through this difficult time. So I'm sure there are loads of people who are not doing so well, and I think that I'm very lucky to be in that. So I'm quite grateful about that. But I would love to sell that business and probably have a bit more of a sedate life and probably exploring a bit more of the remote areas of the world. I think that's where I would be coming from sounds, sounds sounds very relaxing i mean with regards i suppose to managing your lifestyle in and around kind of being with nature how do you go about managing so many different businesses because you have to be connected a hundred percent of the time surely to be able to to oversee so much well what i tend to do is i tend to just give people uh, shares uh, in the businesses so that they're incentivized to to make money themselves and then i ha- i'd hand it over to them and then i, I tend to be more of a product that's really because that's different to so many other people who go. I want to be almost greedy and actually keep it all for myself and 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 take it all. I mean, look at James Dyson who actually refuses to give shares and wants a hundred percent of the pie. Do you think? I mean, he's been incredibly lucky. But do you, do, do you think, as a person starting out in business, a strategy might be okay? I'll dilute some shares to have some people around me to then be able to have a slightly easier life, or is that the wrong decision? I'm not like a serial entrepreneur, business person that wants to work. You know, twenty four seven. You know, I, I have other interests, and so for me, it suits. It just suits me to actually give stuff to other people. It will give shares to other people, so that they can actually make some money for themselves and help me at the same time. It sounds. It, it sounds like you're quite. You're quite generous, I suppose, in, in 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 that sense. I mean, are you are you a sort of seed cap investor? Would you look at starting out with people who are looking to sort of start in business as well, or is that not interesting to you? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good at that. I've always found that every time I do that, I always lose my money. So I've decided to stay with what I know and, and just really concentrate on people that I know well. Who I, work with. I always tend to work with the same people that I've worked with for a number of years. Is, is that because it's, it's the norm? I mean, has there ever been a point in your, in your business career where you've, you've been challenged in a way that you almost didn't expect to be challenged? You thought it would be an easy ride, and actually there's been a lot of barriers in the way. Yeah, I think I, mean, I, think I got probably quite complacent at the beginning because it was so easy with the Cisco business we had because the Cisco was going through the roof. It was just the funniest time I've ever had in, in, in my life. Everyone was so happy. We were doing these extraordinarily funny things and everyone was making a lot of money and it seemed very easy. 
And have you had have you experienced things going going sort of hitting the fan to a certain extent? Have you seen it going down and kind of what at that point what did you do? Did you go Christ, I'm going to lose everything, or did you, you know, kick on? No, I mean we we had um, when I sold um, RBR or Comstore, we started a business Zyco and Harbour.com and ProLabs. We spun out ProLabs, which is now a very successful uh, optics company, and we sold Zyco to the Rigby Group. Then then I, I actually went away for ten years after Ben sold message labs i took i took like 10 years off just having i got married had children and bought more children and just had a lot of fun and then came back having really sort of missed out on a lot of what's been going on in business in the last 10 years so it's been it's been it has been a bit like starting again yeah so how long have you been back in the in, in the mix of business probably about three years okay so it is sort of like like having a having a startup again i mean you know have you gone back to that mentality of doing first and, and apologizing later or is sort of older Rory more more strategic and measured no it's, it's a lot it's a, it's a lot different and um, you know I inherited a business that hasn't been run very well over the lot when I was away I think I mean when you go away things it was all going well when I when I left and having come back we haven't spent the last two or three years rectifying it all and we're now starting to turn the corner on it and actually it's doing really well now in the COVID environment Talk to me about the the thirty eight thousand pound rocket that you decided to buy. Um, I started um, when I was taking my, my my ten years off. I started buying classic cars because they were going up. They went up five hundred percent in value between two thousand and eight and two thousand and fourteen. And one of the items that came up for sale in one of these these RM auctions, these car auctions, uh, was one of this this rocket. And I just um, I just thought it looked incredibly beautiful, very sculptural. And so we bought it. And then we, then we actually we we, we um, restored it in the same way you'd restore a car so we, we stripped the whole thing back i mean it's an enormous thing where, where did you take a rocket to get restored i took it to south cerny to um thorny kellum which is a classic car restoring company and they had to build a sort of platform for it and a way of moving it around and they photographed it all around and just stripped it back to the bare metal then re then repainted it because it, it was russian right yeah it was it basically it's a hypersonic uh, missile called a collod uh, which is which is a it's basically a test bed for a scramjet engine they get was 5000 miles an hour is that is that that's the one isn't it yeah so it's basically it's hypersonic um, so they 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 used a russian x i think it's a, an sa9 missile which is what it is with a hypersonic uh, engine scramjet engine on the front of it they use the missile to accelerate it to Mach 4, and when it reaches Mach 4, the hypersonic engine can light, and then it goes to Mach 7 very quickly, within about 10 seconds or something. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, and then it just sends back to, it was basically designed to send back telemetry. Oh, right, so it's not a weapon in terms of to go and blow people up? No, no, it's not a weapon, no. It was a, it was a test bed for testing hyperso- hypersonic um, projectiles for missiles. Just, and just going back to... That back to the real world, I suppose, in terms of when you took your 10-year sabbatical, you mentioned about giving people shares and letting them kind of run with it to a certain extent. But then you alluded to the fact that when you came back, there was a lot of picking up the pieces and making things work again. Was that a mistake to give people shares and just rely on them? Giving people shares and working with them is a, is a different thing. And maybe, maybe I was just a bit relaxed, I think. I just made quite a lot of money and I, I, went, I sort of went away and thought, you know, I'm fine. You know, these people couldn't get on, get on with what they're doing. I should have been a bit more on the case, really. And so that's really, the, that, that's a lesson I've learned. Did you not have the right staff? Because hiring is one of the hardest things for any business, any entrepreneur, any startup. How the hell did you go about hiring so many people to be able to generate so much money sensibly? Surely there were some 
mistakes within the hires that you made? Well, we, we always were the same team all along and, and still are essentially, minus a few people. Um, so it's, it's, good, it's just good to work with people who you know you're all on the same page, you're, you all have the same agenda. And by, by team, you mean, you mean core team of, of sort of directors, SLT, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. And, and they, they, they still maintain and continue with your business on, on the sort of trajectory that you wanted and the strategy with hiring the people that they think's best rather than, than you? Yeah, I think that 10 years break was a mistake. But when we sold our first company, we gave away, we gave away £2 million to the staff you know, in cash. How many staff did you have? Uh, at that point, about 40 people. I mean, that's, that's good for them. That's really good. They must have been incredibly grateful. Yeah, and so those people, really never, they never really forgot it. And so we kind of have a hiring pool where we can hire people and they remember all that stuff. I can imagine... I, it's incredible to give back when you can, but it's also very difficult to do to do the right thing when when you can't. I think it's important always to do the right thing. You shouldn't be never be too greedy. No, no, and and, and actually, greed is is something that's killed a lot of things currently within the in the current climate. And you know, can can people be too greedy, or do you think when you're starting fundamentally in the first few years, is greed good? I think it is, but I think you need to you you need to have that team around you. You need to you know people that do people that do well, okay, and and get it. You need to reward them, and I think you need to you know even even down to the receptionist. You know, you shouldn't really just reward the main people. It should be it should be everybody really. Do you think there's 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 an element of you know, driving for the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons. I know, but I think these. I think your motives change over time. I think with for me, it's just changed over time. It's it's not it's not the most important thing anymore. I think just having enough money is fine. But I think that being able to, you know, do other things and there's so much more to life than just work. It, but then you know, then making money. There's just there's just there's, there's just more to life than that. Really, I can't really articulate it. No, I know what you mean. Some people just just try and screw people over to make as much as possible, and others just need to be be happy with what they've got I suppose and actually this current climate that we're in a lot of people are having a far better work-life balance than they ever have had because you can work from home you can go out and walk the dog you can go to the park or whatever you want to do and then you can go back and and actually work at your desk and I think people have become more aware that actually um, your own time and being being happy in yourself is, is is quite important are you happy in yourself Rory? I am absolutely yes I am actually yeah and I think that's kind of what I'm trying to drive at, actually, because this what I was saying earlier. It's, it's been well, it's been great that we've all had more time to to do different things. I think I think everyone's take everyone's had a bit of a different takeaway from this whole COVID thing, and just being able to just focus on other things has I think a lot of people have found very rewarding, and I think that it, that's helped to show people that there is a, actually a lot more. There's a lot more out there. Yeah, and I, I suppose with the next couple of years for you, are you going to wind things down, start to relax even more, and start to to get rid of a few a few businesses, or are you going to just refine what you're doing and do everything in moderation, within reason? I think I'm going. Yeah, I'm, my my plan is to basically sort of offload all my assets and then just really try, just basically do some explore, basically explore the world. So, so for those that are listening, I suppose, and are inspired to start their own business, can't yet explore the world. Sadly, what would you say to them? What's the first thing to do as a budding entrepreneur or someone that's just started a business? You shouldn't just do things for make money. I think you should do things that make you happy. Okay, and I think if you're happy in doing what you're doing, I think money always comes next. Yeah, and observing. I mean, is that you're absolutely right. I mean, a contact of ours, James Khan, who you might know from Dragons Den, says famously, "Observe the masses and do the opposite." It sounds like what you've done is that. It sounds like that's what a lot of people are starting to do in business. Is that is that true? Is that right? I think that's absolutely true. Actually, yeah. Just always zig where people zag. Always, I love that. Always zig where people zag. Definitely, because if you, yeah, you should always do the opposite to what everyone's doing, yeah. I've always tried to do that, actually. Always zig where people zag. Rory, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. We'll, we'll zag off whilst you zig. Um, <laughs> we'll speak to you soon. <laughs> Cheers, dude. 
Thanks very much for listening to this week's podcast. To show your support, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this episode with quite literally anybody you know. And if you really liked it, rate it five stars and hit the subscribe button. To find out more about the guests featured on the program, visit our website, bizpodcast.co.uk. That's with a Z. Where you can apply to be on the show, check out behind the scenes content and keep up to date with what's coming up. Check out our Facebook page by visiting at successes in the mind pod or follow me on Twitter at Oliver Bruce underscore biz. This podcast has been produced by Pinpoint Media. Thanks very much. Take care.